Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. Boom, I got it right this week. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> As I was studying for the message this morning, I <clears throat> was reading and I was challenged with something. I had never, I had never contemplated this thought. Um, but I want to, I want to read to you what I read and that challenged me. Okay, uh, it says, um, "Suppose the United States government fell and the Constitution was destroyed, and you had to write a new Constitution, but you had one restriction: you could only include ten laws." These would be the bedrock of a new constitution for a new nation. The ten laws would include, obviously, uh, you would want to prohibit murder, and you would do something to protect private property rights and have laws against theft. But would you write a law about honoring your father and mother or keeping the Sabbath day holy? And... Would your top ten include a law against coveting? And I, I, I read that and I thought, wow, that, that's an amazing thought. And as I, as I thought about that, I, I, I was challenged with this, the idea of coveting. Coveting is one of the most destructive things that people can be a part of. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, or if you would, the Ten, ten Commandments, or really it's a constitution of sorts, he included the idea of coveting. And I sat at my desk and I thought, I wonder why he included that. The answer to the question why, I believe, is in the parable this morning. The parable, the title of the message or the parable, parable that we're going to be looking at this morning is called The Rich Fool. It is an, another parable that is very well known. Uh, if you are familiar with your Bible at all. But let's go ahead and read the parable this morning in Luke chapter 12 of the rich fool. So let's start in verse 16. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then those shall, uh, 
<clears throat> then those, excuse me, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And uh, as we look at this parable this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge our thinking, and that most of all, that you would make us more like Christ. Help us, dear God, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On face value, when you read this parable, <clears throat> it looks as though Jesus is just giving good advice. But we have to ask the question, why did he tell the parable? So let's back up a little bit to verse 13. And this, it, this is the reason why he tells the parable. In verse 13, it says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Verse 15, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of these things which he possesseth. The reason why Jesus told the story is because a young man comes to him and asks him a question. So, our story this morning involves two people. We're going we're gonna to call the one a young man. Uh, we honestly don't know how old he was. It doesn't tell us. But for the sake of our the message this morning, we'll just call him the young man. <clears throat> the other one is the foolish man. The foolish man is the man in the parable. But before we get into the message, I want to say something that I have seen played out many times. I've seen this scenario in our story here played out many times in verses 13 to 15. This is something that I have seen literally destroy families. I've seen siblings that will not talk to each other because of this scenario. I've seen it absolutely destroy because of jealousy and resentment. I've seen it cause people to lie, cheat, steal, and you name it. It's incredible what people will do in this scenario sometimes. Jesus here was more concerned about the, the young man's heart. So let, point number one this morning, the heart of the young man, the heart of the young man. Let's look at the heart of this young man. According to the law of Deuteronomy, if there was a dispute in an inheritance dispute, the parties involved would go to a rabbi or someone in authority in the, in the Jewish uh, congregation there, and they would mediate the difference. Uh, they they would come, they would hold a court of sorts, and then they both sides would be heard, and then a judgment would be made. 
and whatever the judgment was made would be the end of it. This young man was coming to Jesus, asking Jesus to arbitrate this problem that they were having. So Jesus here refuses to arbitrate. The young man did not come to Jesus wanting to learn about God, but to use Jesus in a secular matter. But Jesus does something here and challenges the, this young man's thinking. He, 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 he turns it around, sort of, and he asks him a question. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. See, Jesus has the ability or had the ability to look into the, the, to the heart of the young man. And he knew what the real problem was. The real problem was that this guy was more concerned about things than he was a relationship with God. And he looks at this young man and he says, be careful of covetousness. Why, why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus was more concerned with the young man's heart condition than he was his financial condition. See, the reality was the young man had a heart problem. He had a heart problem. He, he had a heart full of jealousy and resentment. And Jesus was far more concerned about that than whether or not he would inherit things. And so often, I've seen it, again, I've seen it played out too many times. Too often we get caught up in the, in the, trap if you would of things and possessions and the and the, the, the this and the that and and we get we we get our eyes on all of that stuff and Jesus is really only concerned about one thing in your life and that's your heart he doesn't care the size house you live in the, the fancy car you drive he just wants your heart I have a question. What do we know about the young man? We know that he was disingenuous with Jesus. He was only there for to, to use him. We know that he was uh, jealous and resentful toward his brother. But we also know that he had a skewed idea of wealth. He had a skewed idea of wealth. Look at verse 15. And he said unto him, Take not heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. 
See, this man, this young man had a had a skewed idea of what wealth is. He he thought that wealth and happiness was wrapped up in the things that he owned, the things that he could surround himself with, the 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 land and 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 all of the whatever he was after in the inheritance. It was those things in which he, he, he said in his heart, saying, hey, if I could have these things, I would be happy. I had a friend one time who was remodeling his house. And he was absolutely convinced. This is, this is, this is a, a, a house that had hardwood floors in it. You, you, you all know that this is in South Carolina. And houses back there had these beautiful hardwood floors. And this house had a, had a beautiful hardwood floor all through it. But he was convinced that if he, <clears throat> in the living room, he wanted, he wanted this big rug that cost a lot of money. It, and he was convinced if he could have that rug, it would complete the house. It was like the, the cherry on top of the, of the ice cream and he and he saved and he saved and he scrimped and he saved and he finally had enough money he went and bought the bought the rug brought it home moved all the furniture out put the rug down put it all the back together and it was like wow that was really disappointing and he learned a really important lesson that that day that rug i know it sounds a little silly but the the rug didn't do what he wanted it to do. And so often in our lives, we think, well, if I could just have this, I'd be okay. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to this young man. Our greatest need, this is a, something I've read before. I'll probably read it again many times. But this is something that encourages my heart because we get a we get a misunderstanding sometimes of what God is doing in our lives. And that's, it's a little poem that is called uh, Our Greatest Need. If our greatest need had been information, God would have, given, would have given us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would set us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So he sent us a savior. I like to read this poem every once in a while to remind myself to help. It helps calibrate my thinking. Because we can all become consumed with things. Because we live in a world that if you, if you watch TV at all, uh, within a span of an hour, you were told 600 times that you need a product you don't need. <laughs> Just saying. That's what advertisement does. They want one thing. That is your money, not your happiness. And God is after your happiness, not your money. Jesus knew the right answer. 
the answer to the problem that this young man faced. And, and we'll get to the right answer in a minute, okay? But before we get there, let's go to point number two. And let's talk about the foolish man for a minute. The foolish man. Again, we don't know much about the, the man of the parable of the foolish man. But we do know a few things. Jesus gives us a few hints about the individual that, that, he, that he tells us about here. The first thing that we see in verse 16 is that he's rich. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So here we have a, a man who, who, by Jesus' own admission, is rich. The word rich here means to have an abundance. So basically what Jesus is saying, because really the term rich is a relative term, is it not? Okay, um, because you know my definition of somebody who's rich could be different from your definition of, of some of Let me give you an example. When I was in Papua New Guinea back, man, 30-some years ago, uh, I was building a house for a missionary there, and <clears throat> and um, I was talking with one of the nationals who could speak English, and we we were talking, and and he asked me a question that I thought was odd, but I answered the question, and this was the question he said, he said, "How many pairs of shoes do you own?" And I, I'm like, okay, let's see, I've got. I got my work boots, I got, you know, and I, I went through, and I don't know, five or six, seven, I, I don't remember. But I told him, and he, he went, oh, my. Okay, whatever. So later, uh, I was talking to the missionary, and I mentioned this conversation, and he goes, oh, no, you didn't. I have a tendency of doing things like that, by the way. Uh, I said, I didn't do what? He said, you didn't tell him how many pairs of shoes you own, did you? And I said, well, yeah, I told him, you know, told him what I told him. Oh, no. And I said, what, what's the problem? He said, well, here in New Guinea, they measure wealth by how many pairs of shoes you own. Most people don't own a pair of shoes. But man, if you, I mean... Let me put it to you this way. Some of you would be billionaires. <clears throat> okay? But see, <laughs> wealth is relative, okay? You know, it's you know, it was it was an amazing thing to be in a country where everybody's barefooted. Or if they own a pair of shoes, they only wear it to church on Sunday. So what is wealth? But this guy is identified as being rich, or the the again the word the word rich here just means that he had an abundance. So he he was not he was not hurting if you would. He had 
he had surplus in his life. Now, I do want to say this. Um, Jesus never says or even implies that being rich is a bad thing. He doesn't say it's a sin. It doesn't say it's a bad thing. It does, he doesn't imply that at, at all, okay? So, so please don't think that just because he was rich, he was a bad person. That, that has nothing. He just uses the word rich to, to identify or describe this man's financial status. The problem with being rich is when our hearts and our souls get tied to the almighty dollar. That's where it becomes a problem. The second hint of this man's character, God gives us in verse 20. God said, uh, but God said unto him, thou fool. He calls him a fool. And the scripture, uh, in scripture, uh, the word fool is usually a description of somebody who is spiritually unwise. Okay, it does, it, 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 to my knowledge, it never refers to somebody who's unintelligent or uh, uneducated. That's, that's not what this word means. It's somebody who has turned away from God. In Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they are done, excuse me, and they have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is this is the, the the person that Jesus is describing here, or God is describing as being a fool, somebody who has turned away from God. It is obvious by this description that is this is a man who is not trusting God for his sustenance. This is somebody who's not trusting God for his daily needs. The rich man, it was, um, uh, he was excited and congratulating himself on the abundant harvest. He was not acknowledging the fact that the God of heaven is the one who provided the rain. Very unusual situation here. The third hint that Jesus gives us here is the fact that he talked to himself or he sought counsel from himself. Now, now let me say this, okay? That's usually not a good idea, okay? You, You usually do not give yourself good advice. Just saying, okay? Why? Because you're going to give yourself advice to what you want to do. Okay, very seldom are you going to be honest with yourself. So that he, <laughs> he 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 talks to himself and he 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 
Um, well, look at verse 17. Um, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? Again, he's, 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 he's like, look at what I've done. And he's, and, he's, and he's bringing it all into himself. And he's like, man, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? And it reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar. Those of you that are familiar with the Old Testament. King Nebuchadnezzar stands and he says, look at what I have done. And what did God do? <laughs> I'll show you what you did. <laughs> but this man was, he, he was seeking counsel from himself. He was not uh, concerned about sharing the wealth. He was not concerned about the law of the first fruits or in, in, in that day, they didn't necessarily tithe with money, but they tithed with whatever they harvested. They called it the first fruits. In other words, he was more interested in keeping everything than he was giving anything back to God. The implication here is this. Now, <clears throat> the, the implication is, is very clear. At least it is to me. He knew better. By Jesus saying the things that he says, uh, <clears throat> tells me that he knew he was supposed to be giving back to God. He knew that he was supposed to be sharing with others. But what had happened? He had become covetous. He had allowed the things of this world to consume him. And it was no longer about others. It had become all about him. I have a friend who lives in Illinois that is a farmer. Okay, I, I'm not a farmer. Okay, you can ask my mom. I I grew up in L.A. Um, <clears throat> I know how to grow concrete. Um, I I know nothing about farming. Nothing. <clears throat> But I have a friend in Illinois who is a farmer. I mean, this guy is a serious farmer. Uh, he's got he's got everything. Um, anyway, we we were we were visiting with him one time a few years back, and and his his specialty is is corn. He he grows corn, and I, I don't know. He grows corn. Okay, it's that you know those yellow things you eat. I don't know, <clears throat> and. Acres, acre after acre after acre of corn. Every year he grows corn. And we were talking, and he's showing me around his farm, and you know all the all his equipment, his combines, and his tractors, and all the stuff. And man, it's really impressive. At least it is to me. Growing up in L.A., you know, totally cool stuff. But anyway, he 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 was telling me that he has so many acres of corn that he has to store it in a, uh, well, but it's, a, it's not a, his silo. It's one you, you kind of have to pay to put your corn into it, you know, like a community thing. I don't know. He was explaining it to me. I don't understand it. But anyway, what he was saying, what he was telling me, he says, you see this right over here? He said, do you see that small silo? And I'm looking at this thing thinking, that's small? I mean, the thing was huge. 
He said, you see this small silo? He said, right next to it, I'm going to build one that's twice as big as that one. He said, I'm going to have it filled by the end of summer. He said, that way I don't have to pay to store my corn. I'm like, you got to pay to build the silo. But anyway, um, but the whole time he's telling me about this new silo, I was thinking about this story. And not that what he was doing was wrong. It just reminded me of the story. And the last time I checked, my friend is, is doing quite well in business. He's, he, you know, farmers nowadays have to be businessmen as well. Uh, you can't, <laughs> it's, it, it's a completely different thing than it was 100 years ago. But anyway, the foolish man had reached the point where he said, you know what? I have life by the tail. I can, I can rest now. I've got all this stuff in storage. I don't ever have to work again. We call that retirement. I have a question for you. As I was thinking this through, I was, I was processing this, this story, I thought, I wonder if he would have truly been satisfied to retire. What, did, what does human nature say? No, he wouldn't have been. He probably would have retired for a little while. But I doubt it. Then I thought of something else. I thought, you know, the story here, God says, he calls him a fool, and he says, he says, tonight your soul's going to be required of me. But what if what if God had gone to him and said this? Okay, hey, you got two choices. You can die now as a rich man, or you can live another 20 years and be poor. What do you think he would have done? He probably would have forfeited all his wealth so that he could keep on living. <clears throat> As I was studying for this message. In fact, I was I was literally typing it up and getting my thoughts together and everything. I got a phone call. And I, I answered the phone. I didn't I didn't recognize the number, but I I answered the phone and um it says hey pastor this is this is so and so. Uh, I've only met you one time. It was several months ago. I said, hey, I, I remember meeting you. How, how, how are you doing? And he said, well, he says, I'm not doing too good. My, my dad, your friend, uh, died yesterday. And I said, man, I, I am so sorry. And we talked for a few minutes, and we, I hung up the phone. And you know, I, I just sat there, and my heart was so heavy. And I, I want to share with you part of the content of the last conversation I had with him, my friend who had died. 
It's about three, maybe four weeks ago. I had stopped by to see him. And our our agreement, our arrangement that had we had made is that <clears throat> whenever I f- could come by to see him, I just knock on the door and walk in because he was bedridden. He couldn't get out of bed anymore. So I knocked on the door and I came in and we we stood and talked and about different things. And near the end of our conversation, he said this to me. He said, Pastor, I want you to look around. And here I'm standing in a house here in Fernley that's worth several hundred thousands of dollars. And he says, I want you to look around. I notice a Steinway piano sitting over to my left. Paintings all over the place. I know for a fact one of the paintings is worth $40,000. And I'm looking around this house and I'm thinking, got a lot of stuff. I want to read you what he said to me. I want, I want, I want to read it so I don't, I don't want to mis, misquote it because I wrote this down. This is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, it's been a wasted life. I spent my life chasing all this stuff instead of God. Now, I had talked to this man earlier about his salvation many years, well, about two years earlier. And I believe he was saved. But he said, Pastor, I have wasted my life. I have spent my life chasing stuff. And he looked at me and said, it's been a wasted life. Shortly after that, I left. And that was the last conversation I had with him before his son called and told me he had died. Wasted life. This man was bedridden. He, He knew he was dying. It was just a matter of time. But my heart was broken. By his own admission, he had wasted his life pursuing stuff that now his family gets to fight over. How sad. And I don't know, we don't know if this man in our story had a family, but if he did, more than likely that's what was happening. Earlier I said that there's a right answer. Jesus gives the right answer. The right answer to the heart problem to the young man. The right answer for you and for me. The right answer. Look at look at verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know what the right answer is? Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. That's the right answer. 
the, 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 the young man, his heart was full of, of resentment. He didn't get it. The, the foolish man didn't get it. But Jesus says the right answer is be rich for the things of God. And then he goes on in verses 22 to 30. And he tells us how we can be rich for the things of God. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> and he said unto his disciples, Therefore, or the word therefore is because of the story I just told you, because of this young man and his brother, because of that, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither uh, sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye be, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will your clothe uh, will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these. Live by faith. How do we seek the things of God? How, how are we rich in the things of God? Learning to live by faith. The song selection this morning, had I been able to, to tell, I, I could have, I didn't, but had I told Ashley what type of music to sing this morning, it would have been the very songs that we sang about faith. Faith. In verses 22 to 30, Jesus tells his disciples to be wary of worry. Don't worry. The word, the, 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 the worry causes destruction. Verse 22. He says, uh, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. The, the idea there of take no thought means to not to be anxious or not to be torn apart, not to be anxious about 
the things of this world. Take no thought for it. Don't don't let it enter your mind. Don't, Don't be torn apart by the things of this world. That is how we can be rich toward God. Corey Ten Boom said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strengths. The word, the English word worry comes from the Anglo-Saxon word to strangle. Don't worry. It is destructive and it is deceptive. When we worry, it warps our view of life. Jesus tells us not to worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. Why? Because that's his worry, not mine. We're not to worry about these things. He, he gives us the example of the birds that they don't have storehouses yet. You don't see very many birds starving to death, do you? The lilies of the fields. Every time I read this passage, I think of when my wife and I went on vacation one time up to uh, Mount Rainier. We got that we were up there in the springtime, and there was this field. I, I don't know how many acres it was. Just a, it was hu- this huge field, and and the flowers. It, it, I stood there in utter amazement. Have you ever seen? Have you ever, ever seen that? Absolutely amazing. Nothing in in all the years that I've traveled the world, I had never seen anything quite as beautiful as that valley. And God says, Solomon in all his glory could never compare to a field full of flowers. So what is our takeaway this morning in closing? Let me, let me kind of give you a little bit of takeaway that we can, we can get from this, this parable this morning. The first thing, the first takeaway that I get is this. Jesus wasn't concerned about the young man's finances. He was concerned about his heart. And let me say this. Jesus is far more concerned about your heart and my heart than he is our finances. Obvious question. What is your heart like? What is your heart like? Is your heart consumed with the things of this world? Or are you rich toward God? Let's read verse 21 again. And as we do, let me encourage you to examine your own heart. Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The implication is there is if we don't lay up treasures for ourselves, we can be rich toward God. What's your heart look like this morning?
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. Lord, you are so good to us, so kind and so gracious. I do ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us and that you would strengthen us. But more importantly, that you would help us to be more like you. We are truly thankful, truly blessed. With every head bowed and every 